Um, tonight we're going to take a look at the thief on the cross together. And so the title of this message is The Thief, A Testament to Grace. Now most of you are familiar with the many instances in the scriptures of men and women of great faith. There were men like Noah, who spent many decades building an ark before uh, the rain started falling from the sky, and it was even a possibility. And then there was Abraham, who stood over his own son and Isaac on the altar before God provided him a substitute. And then, of course, there's Moses. We've been reading about him lately, who stood before the most powerful man on earth, Pharaoh, and demanded that the Hebrew people be freed from their captivity. He then stood before the Red Sea. As it, was, as it was being parted, God used him to free his people from seemingly impossible odds. These were great acts of faith. And I think of David believing that God that he could slay that giant Philistine. And there was Rahab, a prostitute, believing that the spies in Jericho were men of God. And we could spend the next several years examining all the, acts of, the great acts of faith in Scripture, really strong acts of faith. But there is one particular faith that really stands out to me, and that is the faith of the dying thief. So let's go ahead and start reading here in verse 32 of Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 32. And there, also, there were also two other malefactors, or criminals, led with Christ to be put to death. And when they were come to the place where Christ was to be crucified, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. And saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors, which was, which was hanging on the tree, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And I've heard it said that this faith of this thief is the strongest instance of faith in the scriptures, next to Christ, of course. And I'll just give you a little bit of trivia here on this thief. Uh, according to apocryphal writings, there 
early church even had a name for this thief. They called him Dismas or Demis. And the other thief, uh, according to apocryphal writings, was supposedly called Gestus in the early church. However, the Bible doesn't really name either of these thieves, so I prefer not to call them by any name, as their names are really unknown in my opinion. Whether or not there is any semblance of truth in the apocryphal writings, it matters not to me. I don't really care if somebody wants to call this man Dismas. For me, however, they're simply the two thieves. And I think if scripture wanted us to call them by a name, these thieves, those names would have been written down here in in the book of Luke for us to to read and understand. But this one thief, uh, or some people call him the good thief, I believe his faith was stronger than that of anybody we read about in the scriptures. Stronger than that of any Old or New Testament saint. So let's ask ourselves, is this faith really greater than that of the disciples? Well, let's think about it. The disciples, they traveled with Christ for many miles and seen him perform many miracles. They saw him turn water into wine, feed 5,000 people from just a handful of uh, loaves of bread and fish. And they saw Christ heal the sick, including that dreaded disease, leprosy. And they saw him give sight to the blind. They saw him calm a storm just by saying a few words. And they even saw him raise people from the dead. They witnessed so many miracles. And they sat and learned at his feet for two years. They heard his sermons and his preaching and they they soaked it up. But let's ask ourselves this. Where in the world were they when Christ was dying on the cross? And this thief was here confessing his faith in Christ. They're hiding out. They're scared out of their wits end. They're, they're scared out of their minds. Their faith was very weak. Yet this man, this thief, he didn't get to see any of these amazing things that the disciples saw. He didn't sit at Christ's feet and soak up his teachings. He didn't witness a single miracle. What he did see, though, was a very weak and emaciated man hanging on a tree. He saw a poor man that was bloodied to a pulp. And he saw the Roman soldiers looking up at him and laughing at him. And even another thief who was dying on a cross was mocking him. And he saw that all of Christ's friends had abandoned him. But yet he recognized something that not a single person there could either could he see or even fathom. This man, this bloodied and suffering man hanging on the tree, was the Lord. And this thief, he looked over at him and he said, Lord. He said, Lord. I, I, I can just imagine the onlookers laughing at him when he said this. Lord, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Hmm. I have a tendency sometimes to just, to my shame, to just read the scriptures and not let the truth sink into my, to my mind the way it should. It's so easy to read just a few words and then skip to the next section. But let's focus on this passage and think about it. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How did this thief seem to know Christ was going to return 
a reigning king, a mighty king. How did this thief know that this man was the promised Messiah? Well, <laughs> what a testament to grace the story is. That this man, he was such a sinful man. He was a shameful man. He had no good works in which to boast. He hadn't been baptized. He didn't speak in tongues of fire. He never gave a dime or a moment's worth of time to the cause of God and his truth. He hung on the cross and was unable to even kneel or bow before our Lord. He didn't recite a sinner's prayer, but he believed. He believed that Christ Jesus was who he claimed to be. And I doubt he had a theological education. He was a thief. He wasn't puffed up with theological knowledge. All he had was faith alone and his dying master at his side. And Christ gave him such a wonderful gift of assurance. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Do you identify with this thief? If you have true faith, then you too have the same type of faith that this man had. It may not be as strong, but we believe the same thing he did when it comes to our souls and our Savior. This thief was given grace and faith at the appropriate time. He was given the ability to see what many people cannot. Now some people, they've used this illustration as a reason to put off believing until later in life. After all, if one can be saved just before they die, they reason they can do the same thing. As a faith and repentance is something they can conjure up deep within their souls when they need it. They reason to themselves that they can just wait until they are on their deathbed and get faith in order to escape punishment. They think salvation is just a matter of accepting Christ, but they're sadly mistaken. You know, you pick up a newspaper today and read obituaries, and you, you see stories of how so-and-so accepted Christ just a few days before he died, and therefore he's in heaven. And they use this thief on the cross to justify their delay in believing and somehow meriting for themselves salvation. But they forget there was another thief dying on a cross next to, next to that other thief on that day. And he died just as he lived in unbelief. He died in hatred of our Lord. And these two thieves, they're great reminders of how, how much little time there is left to live in this world and how close to death and to eternity that all of us are. And they both had just a little time to live. And we, you and I, we only have just a little time left to live. And after that, we'll be in eternity conform to the image of Christ or if we die in unbelief we'll be in hell and suffering what we richly deserve that's quite a sobering thought isn't it but these two men these two thieves they represent all of humanity in between them you had the man the God man dying for the sins of his people and to the left you had one dying in his sin and to the right, you had one dying unto his sin. What was the difference between these two thieves? They were both terribly sinful, terribly wicked people, enough 
so that the Romans thought they deserved to die a horrible and painful death. They both saw Christ dying on the cross. They both heard what he was saying. They both heard the same message. There wasn't really any natural differences between these two men. Yet, one of them, one of these criminals was saved, and the other died in a sin. So what was the difference? What was the difference maker in these two men? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Keep your place here in Luke 23. And uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. Here's our answer. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? That's your answer right there. God was the difference. Right there. He sirenly made one thief to differ over the other. And that's it. The difference wasn't found in either of them. One was elected to salvation from before the foundation of the world. And God, through his spirit, caused this elect vessel of mercy to believe at the appointed time. And the other man, he was hardened in his unbelief. So if you're saved tonight, that is, if you know the Lord, and more importantly, he knows you, well, the difference in your life is God. God caused you to believe in just the same way that this dying thief was made to believe. And at some point in your life, the Holy Spirit breathed life into you, caused you to recognize who Christ was, and caused you to rest in him. You were born again from above. You were regenerated in a newness of life. And it wasn't because you're able to conjure up some willpower that the person who dies in belief isn't able to. No, there's nothing special about you apart from God. You, at one time, were just as unable to believe as any other person. There's nothing inherently good about any of us. That's why we're called sinners. You didn't do a single thing. You didn't think a single thought. You didn't perform a single work to merit your salvation. It's God who made the difference. Now let's take a closer look at this difference. Let's take a look back at uh, Luke 23 and verse 39. One of the malefactors or criminals which were hanged there was railing on Christ saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. This man was railing on Christ. The New American Standard uh, translates this as hurling abuse. In other words, he was blaspheming God. He blasphemed God right there. Right there in his presence. He said, and if you think about it, he said, if you are the Christ. If. He didn't believe Jesus was the Christ. He was mocking him. Now, I have often asked myself, this many times am I truly saved I'm sure many of you have asked that as well you know scripture tells us to test ourselves to be sure that we are of the faith but one thing I've never doubted since I've come to believe is this there is no if when it comes to Christ and I'm confident this man Jesus was the son of God 
He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. But my assurance of salvation, on some days, it can seem pretty weak. An example. Imagine having the opportunity to talk to Peter on the day he denied the Lord three times. Peter, do you think you're saved? You might say he wasn't. But do you believe this man Jesus, who you denied three times, is he the Son of God? Well, he'd say, of course I do. I believe that with all my heart, with all my soul. Belief or faith in Christ doesn't have to do with how you feel about yourself. It has to do with what you believe about Christ. Do you believe you're saved? Well, forget about that for a moment. Don't think about yourself. Do you believe Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe he's the eternal high priest? Do you believe he fulfilled all the prophecies of Scripture concerning the Messiah? Do you believe he's the king who sat down at the right hand of the Father? Of course you do, because that's what faith is. But this first thief, he didn't believe that. He had no faith. He said, if you are the Son of God. He called Christ's claim into question. Now look at Look at the good thief, if we're going to call him that. Take a look at this, this man, look what he said. Actually, no, take that back. Let's look at the, uh, the bad thief. Save thyself and us, is what he says. He says, he says, you should save me. He had a sense of entitlement. He basically said, if you're the Christ, then you have an obligation to save me. That's what's fair. It wouldn't be fair for you not to save me. He was entitled. Now we're going to look at the good thief, (laughs) as they call him. The other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing you're in the same condemnation? You know, where where there's true faith, there's no sense of entitlement. And whenever I hear people questioning the fairness of God, I think of how entitled they are. Is it fair for God to save one and condemn another? Is God's sovereign election fair? Is it fair that Christ didn't die for every single human being? That's not fair, they cry out. That's not fair. Well, that's entitlement. They're saying that it would be wrong for God to die only for his elect. They're saying it would be wrong for God to have a chosen people from before the foundation of the world. And this attitude, it's quite symptomatic of the times we're in. It's quite symptomatic of this country, if you ask me. Citizens of this country are entitled, but that's really to be expected. It's in our nature to feel entitled. But the true believer doesn't dare think these things when it comes to salvation. Ask yourself this if God were to send you to hell and he hadn't sent his son to die for you in your sins, would you be angry about it, knowing what you know about yourself? No. It's because if you believe the Lord and rest in his gospel of grace, you do not have a sense of entitlement concerning salvation. You're just thankful he saved you. So if you see somebody claiming that sovereign election and sovereign grace isn't fair, rebuke them the same way that this thief rebuked the other thief. We have a model right here on how to handle that attitude, right here in Scripture. This dying man said, Don't you fear God? What another amazing thing this man just said. Don't you fear God? He was talking about the one hanging on the cross. 
He's talking about Christ. He called him God. He believed Jesus Christ, that bloodied and beaten man, was God Almighty. <laughs> he saw this bloody, dying body nailed to a tree, and he knew this was God. That's not something a natural man could even conceive. The realization of Christ being God could only come from above. Just like Christ said to Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. This man knew that Jesus was the Christ the same way that you and I do. We didn't conjure it up in ourselves. This blessed truth was revealed to us. And when anyone experiences salvation, they know that Jesus Christ is the sovereign God. They know that he is sovereignly in control of everything. He's in control of everybody and every single event that ever takes place. Don't you fear God? Wow. To me, that statement is breathtaking. The next thing I notice about these thieves' words is that he believed in the absolute justice of God. Let's read the first verse, part of verse four. Let's read the first part of verse forty-one. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Whatever God does is right, don't you think? Whatever God does is just, right? And anyone who has true saving faith, they're never satisfied with anything that doesn't line up with the absolute and supreme justice of our Lord. Would you be satisfied with a court that just let all the criminals go free? Would you be okay with murderers and thieves being released in society without any justice ever taking place? I don't think I could. I couldn't, I couldn't handle that. We'd all, we'd all try to get the judges who made these awful decisions thrown out of office. That's the way it is in this country. If you have true faith, though, you have a sense of the absolute justice of God. Remember the publican of the temple who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? And Christ said, I say unto you, this man went, went back to his house justified. He had no more guilt. He had, Christ, Christ took it. Christ took our guilt. In no condemnation, Christ took our condemnation. That's the wonderful message of the gospel. It's good news. And the only message that magnifies the justice of God is the gospel. God is just. And he's going to reward the perfect. And he's going to punish the guilty. And in and of ourselves, we are guilty and deserve to be punished. But Christ not only took our punishment, he took upon himself all our guilt and our shame. He said our sins were his. He took them upon himself. He paid a king's ran ransom for criminals like us. <laughs> but if Christ hadn't paid that ransom, we'd get exactly what we deserve, don't you think? Every believer knows deep within their souls that they're sinners. They believe they deserve the wrath of God in and of themselves. I've heard people say they wish they could go back in time and slap Adam, causing them to be sinners. Do you believe that? <laughs> That's a ridiculous thing to say. 
Don't they realize they have enough sin of their own to be sinners? They don't need Adam's sin. <laughs> and what makes them think they do anything different in the garden than Adam and Eve? <laughs> People are so self-righteous. You, you, know, you know when they make statements like that, just boggles my mind. <laughs> but this man, this thief, he said to the other thief, Hey, don't you fear God? We're getting exactly what we deserve. He believed he was a sinner deserving nothing but condemnation. He had, he had no sense of entitlement. This other thief, though, was entitled. He was basically saying, save us. Save us. Save yourself, but save us. Save us while you're saving yourself. But this believing thief, he couldn't say that. He believed he was a sinner before God. And he believed Jesus was sinless. Christ didn't do anything wrong. Do you believe that? Do you believe Christ was without sin of his own? That he was the only perfectly sinless man to ever live? That he was absolutely holy and perfect in everything he said or did? Without spot? A dying criminal on the cross believed this. Look at the second part of verse 41. This man hath done nothing amiss. That's what he said. I don't think he's just talking about civil crimes either. I think he thought Christ was sinless. That's the context here. He believed Christ was God. That's the only thing that could make sense, that makes any sense to my mind. It's absolutely amazing. Remember, he never saw a single miracle performed by Christ. All he saw was a man nailed to a tree who was seemingly helpless. And he looked to him and he said, Lord, the seemingly helpless man hanging on the tree was the Lord of creation. He was the Lord of providence. He is sovereign over all things. He's before all things and by all things consists. He's even sovereign over salvation. And this belief, this thief, he believed that. And you can see that in his words. Lord, remember me. All you need to do, Lord, is remember me and I'll be saved. That prayer is strikingly similar to that prayer of the leper to Christ. Remember what the leper said? He said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. He believed everything he needed to believe, didn't he? But if you talk to some theologians today, you'd think it wasn't enough. The thief probably couldn't articulate to you the doctrines of tulip. He probably couldn't elaborate to you on the differences between Calvinism and Arminianism. He probably couldn't tell you what universal atonement versus limited atonement meant. And he probably couldn't read through a Spurgeon sermon and start critiquing it. <laughs> he probably couldn't tell you what all these big theological words that we use today mean. But I think he believed Christ's work would be successful. He thought it would be effectual. He believed that Christ would come back as a mighty reigning king. And he believed that though Jesus would die, that he'd be raised from the dead. He believed that Christ was king of kings and lord of lords, and that his salvation was in the hands of the sovereign will of Christ. Lord, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He wasn't baptized. He never gave anything. He only stole stuff. 
he had no works to commend himself. He's nothing but a terrible thief, being executed for living a wicked life. When I first believed the gospel of sovereign grace, it was back in the early part of the internet era, back when it was first getting started. I used to get online and read about the gospel and I'd find these internet forums and people would be sitting there debating each other. So I've seen a lot of debates online, seen a lot of debates on social media. I've even participated in them to my shame. I've seen people argue over every single theological point one could even possibly make. And I've seen people roast each other online for not being able to articulate theological concepts. I've seen people judge each other like Pharisees for not being able to, being able to articulate Calvinism or TULIP properly. And I've even, like I said, I've even participated in many of these discussions. And I could hold my own with the best of them. Because I love to study theology and I've read a lot of systematic theology books. And I'm not trying to brag here. I'm actually ashamed to say a lot of this. And I can tell you all the big theological words. I can tell you the difference between all the different end times views that exist out there. And all the different nuances that theologians like to make. However, so many of these people that like to debate theology, I think oftentimes they miss the point of the gospel. They can articulate the gospel, but do they believe it like this thief? Do they look to Christ and do they rest in him? All these theological concepts they like to talk about, well, they don't mean a thing if they don't reinforce the type of faith we see here with this thief. And I think sometimes people lose sight of Christ in their theology. They lose sight of Jesus. They can argue and they can debate very well. And they think they're always right. And they defend their doctrine mightily. But I think that many people are too focused on winning a theological game and have forgotten the one who gives rest. They forget about the sovereign grace. They forget that sovereign grace theology terminates in Christ alone. That's all you need to know, Christ. And I had a friend once who could debate very well, and he could defend the gospel very well. In fact, he could articulate it almost better than most people I know. But one day he just stopped talking to me. And so I finally tracked him down, and I asked him, hey, what's going on, man? He told me something that shocked me. He says, I don't believe any of it. That's what he told me. He told me he didn't even believe in God. And he said that to me, and I'll never forget it. He said, Brandon, your understanding of the scriptures is the most accurate I've found. If I believe the Bible, I believe exactly what you believe but I don't believe any of it. I don't even believe there is a God who even exists. And this man, he could tell you everything you needed to know about sovereign grace. Sovereign grace doctrine from an academic perspective. But he didn't believe it. And then you have this thief who probably couldn't tell you much about the theology of the Bible. He probably couldn't tell you about the extent of the atonement but I think he believed it would be satisfactory. He probably couldn't tell you in strong theological terms about Christ, but he believed him. So I hang right there on the tree. He believed what he had to say. He knew he had nothing to contribute to his salvation. He wasn't looking to his decision. What decision? 
<laughs> he wasn't looking to any good works. He didn't have any works to look at. He was only looking to Christ. He was depending on the blood that was about to be shed on his behalf. <laughs> he was looking only to the Savior, depending on God's grace and mercy. That's all he had. And that's all we really have as well. And it's enough. It's enough. And Christ gave this thief the strongest assurance any person could ever receive. He gave him assurance right there to him, to his face, right there on the cross. He says, and he did this verbally. Look at verse 43. Verily, I say unto thee, today, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What words of comfort. Can you imagine the joy of this dying man upon hearing these words? <laughs> you know, if you believe, these words should comfort you as well. These words should give you joy as well. Christ gives all of his people assurance. He speaks to them, and he whispers in their ear, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, and thou art mine. And he did this with the thief on the cross. And he does that with those of us who believe. We know the Lord, and he knows us. And we talk to him, and he talks to us. And we know that we'll never be plucked out of his hand. And we know that when we die, the same thing that happened to that thief will happen to us. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The moment we rest, we who rest in Christ, when we die, we go to be with Christ in paradise. Why should we be any different from that thief? Death isn't something to be feared. The Lord conquered the grave for us. And when we pass, we pass right into his loving arms in paradise. We will walk and talk with the resurrected Christ and living Christ, just like this thief. So what's paradise? I don't know. I don't sorry, I don't I don't know exactly what it was, what it is or what it'll look like. And I've seen people arguing about this as well, but I don't I don't need to know. <laughs> All I need to know is am I going to be with safe? Am I going to be safe with Christ or not? You know. And I'm I'm content with that. I'm I'm satisfied knowing that I'm going to be saved forever and ever and ever. And all the questions I've ever had about heaven from the time I was a little boy till now, I don't really need to know all the answers. I used to wonder what my body would look like when I get to heaven or if I'd be able to walk through walls like Christ. <laughs> would my dead pets with me be with me in heaven? Those were the type of questions I used to have as, as a little kid. And who am I going to get to see in heaven when I get there? Those, will I be able to talk to any of the, the apostles? <laughs> will I be able to go fishing again? All, all these questions I once had completely missed the point. And that point is, when I die, I will be with Christ in paradise. And that's all I need to know. And I'm content. I'm content with that. And there's one more thing about this thief that gives me great comfort. And it's, it's the fact that this man is a thief. <laughs> He's seen as the worst kind of sinner around. He deserved to die. He lived a vile life. Natural men would even agree with us on that. He committed some of the worst crimes against his fellow 
human beings that one can possibly conceive. He was a criminal. And when the word sinner comes up, many people think of, automatically think of people like this thief. And many times when they do this, they don't recognize they're as bad as he is, and, or even worse. They're like the other thief, puffed up with self-righteousness. But nevertheless, our, our Lord still loved this dying man. He loved him so much that he gave his life for him. And then I think about myself. And I know my sins. And I know the horrible things I've done and the most awful, vile things I've ever thought. And I'm sure you all can relate. You've all had horrible, sinful experiences. We all deserve death. And then I remember this thief, and there is no sin that we can commit that can keep us from the love of Christ. There is nothing we can do that will cause our Lord to stop loving us. And that thief, while he may have lived a terrible life of crime, he was still loved by Christ his entire life, even before he believed, even before he was born. He was still cared for by Christ in spite of his sins. And Christ, he saw fit to give him assurance of forgiveness and eternal life, expecting nothing in return. That's amazing grace. And it's mind-boggling when you think about it. But it's true. How bewildering, but so wonderful. What a wonderful series of events that's recorded here in Scripture for rotten sinners like us. And if you're listening tonight knowing that you yourself are guilty of some of the most heinous thoughts and actions, know this, there is forgiveness in Christ. There is a place of refuge. There is amazing grace for even the chief of sinners. <laughs> there is amazing grace to be found in the Savior. And if you're one of his people, you're going to be made to look to that Savior and rest in his righteousness. Rest in his finished work. Sin has been forever settled and answered by Christ's blood. And knowing this gives me such great peace. It gives me enjoyment of that peace. I'm free to worship the Lord without a guilty conscience. I no longer feel guilty or burdened for all the crimes against the Lord I've committed or will commit. He's taken all of my debt, all of it, even my life of unbelief, and he's paid for it all. He nailed it to the cross, and he did away with it for, forever. It'll never be brought up again, not once. And to me, that just gives me such freedom that I can just stand up here and brag on my Savior. It gives me such joy and such peace. <laughs> this thief, what a wonderful testament to grace he was. Well, that's about the end of the sermon, but I've, got, I've been on a big poetry kick lately if you've been watching my Facebook posts. So I had to write a poem about this. So I'm going to read it to you. Uh, I wrote this a few weeks ago. I sent it to my mom and dad. Uh, they're listening tonight, and I changed a few, a few of the words around mom and dad, so you get to hear it again. So uh, I hope this, this, this message and this poem will give you some, some comfort. And the uh, 
title of the poem is the same as this message, The Thief, A Testament to Grace. A thief, a man of sin and shame, on the cross he bore the blame. No church clothes, no pious guise, no works to merit paradise. No baptism, no tongues of fire, no mission trips to spread the choir. No offerings of wealth or time, no confirmation, yet he still climbed. The cross he hung, unable to kneel. No sinner's prayer, no holy appeal. But one belief the thief held true, that Christ was who he claimed to be, no other view. No theologian's words or spin, no shining lights, no ego within. No miracle seen or pictures drawn, just faith alone, just faith alone, his heart shining strong. For God so loved he gave his son, and through belief salvation's won. No matter what we've done or lack, in Christ alone we find our track. The thief, a testament to grace, a glimpse of God's unending chase. A reminder of his love profound, that through faith alone, we're heaven-bound. Amen.